Hello and welcome. I'm Joshua Scholl with Scholl Homes. Our podcast name is I'm Not Sold. We're here on episode two, or excuse me, season two, episode five. I'm here with Joe, and he hosts a podcast called Father and Joe Podcast. Welcome, Joe. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. So the way we met was kind of um, different. We uh, were on this online program where we linked up with random ideas and we get different, uh, different people to sit across from one another and just talk about random stuff. So I'm happy to have you here. And we have a common connection in the real estate background. So I think what we should do is kind of dive into that a little bit <laughs> and learn about what got you into that, where your plans are to go and what other kind of things you do to supplement um, that lifestyle, because it's pretty crazy. You got to have a release from being in real estate. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of time and energy and you have to have a break to do other things with your life. Otherwise it'll eat you alive. I mean, maybe you'll That's disagree true. with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and, and also, uh, you know, you're not always in real estate. There's uh, there's going to be times where you have to step back and we can talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so I entered in 2011 and I re- entered real estate with the goal of residual income. That was the hundred percent goal I wanted. I wanted to be able to be paid when I'm older for work that I did when I was younger. And in 2011, I only really saw three avenues or so that got residual income paid. Cause remember this is like before Netflix took off and, you know, subscribing to digital yeah, right. partnerships and all this. Basically the only three things I saw that people paid on a regular monthly basis was their utilities, their mortgage, and sometimes their taxes. And basically I'm not eligible to be the last two categories so I can go yeah. out and start a rental business. And that's ultimately what we did until I, found out what a rental business was, I had to be in it to do that. Um, you know, I'm starting in 2011, basically right mm-hmm. in the heels of the last recession, whenever uh, banks hated landlords, long story short, and it took them a long time to get over that. So to have the capital to really be able to get enough properties, really enough doors to be able to put people in them, we had to start with flips. And I came from a background of selling life insurance and annuities to professionals. When I say professionals, I mean like doctors and surgeons and people who do what they say they're going to do, like show up at work on time and do their job and try their best to now I was working with crews. Um, which is not always the same thing. Um, I mean, let's face it. Um, for most people, they don't aspire to want to be on a hot asphalt roof, just lugging shingles around nonstop. Um, There's something that went wrong to get to that path for the majority of the people involved in that. And it's a very different skill set working with individuals at that tier versus your surgeons and attorneys and all that fun stuff. So that was a learning curve for the the first couple of flips for sure. Um, But needless to say, I made it work or else I wouldn't be here anymore. Um, You know, 11 plus years later, uh, still still working it and surviving a COVID recession too. So it's going fun. That's awesome. I wasn't involved in in that in that world in 2011. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So let me ask you. I mean, when you're buying properties in 2011, did you have to have cash? Were there lenders out there that were just eating everything up, or how easy was it to acquire properties? Um, I used a hard money guy who I spent okay. a lot of money on. Um, I didn't. I mean, I was what. 25, 24, something like that. It's not like I had a lot of money. I When I was selling the life insurance, I was very good at it. I was rookie of the year the first year, second year, I was underclassman of the year, and third year I left. So it wasn't like I didn't have the ability to sell. Um, sure. But I didn't have, likewise, the $2 million sitting around, which would have been nice. Um, you know, so. Imagine how much sweeter it could have been if you had that stockpile. Oh, yeah. Right? It'd be crazy. But, um, but nonetheless, so so I was doing it with, with hard money guys for the flips, 
which also adds to the stress of getting your things done on time correctly. You know, when you got mm-hmm. an 18% interest rate, um, you you already commit to the first six months. Okay, so that's part of life. But when we start getting right. like month nine, ooh, things are looking bad now. So mm-hmm. um, that is that was certainly part of life there in the beginning. It's funny to think back when I first started, and you don't really understand the concept of you have to buy money when you're getting into this. And you don't think about that until you're actually spending money on money. And mm-hmm. the return has to be there. Otherwise, obviously, it doesn't make sense. But yeah, I, I get you. There's a there's a lot of there's a big stress element that you can't really feel that anywhere else outside of this this particular realm, uh, especially when you're paying part, yeah. 18, 19, upwards of 22 percent on mm-hmm. loans of I don't know. Did you get in a 90 percent LTV or what were they offering? Um, it was it was not 90 percent. It wasn't that high. Um, it was yeah. probably about 70. Um, in, right, in so you reality. still got to come in with a good chunk of change. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're scraping pennies and and pinching everything you got. So yeah, and, and it wasn't like we got all the money up front. It was all basically you got some work done and then you got reimbursed. Got some work done again, reimbursed, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, it gets very hairy and stressful. And trust me, I, I knew what every single Keller of the envelopes from the electric and water and gas company meant. I knew if it was a 10 days shut off, if it was, you had 45 days, I knew them all. Uh Um, That was how that, and you know, that's an incredibly stressful period of your life going through that. Um, Thankfully I don't have that problem now, but, um, but it's part of it. I mean, that was certainly something I went through and, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, probably lost the years off my life. if They had that actual scorecard next to you, like a digital character does. Right. Yeah, it's uh, you get to the point where you're thinking, well, I can go three days without power or three days without water. I can pay that on Monday and get a kick back on on Thursday while we do this and handle this. Mm-hmm. And then Peter owes me $40, so I can use that to pay for this. <laughs> it's kind of scraping all in the beginning, of course. Oh, yeah. Obviously, after your first couple, you figure it out. And then you start many, spending money very wisely. Well, the people who succeed the, do, um, you know, it still is a fact that like 97% of the people never do their second flip because um, it's incredibly stressful. It's incredibly hard. That, and most yeah. people just walk away. Um, plus, the TV shows make it look so easy, like anyone can do it. Um, <laughs> right. So you're getting a lot of people who really should never have tried it jumping in in the first place. But that's a digression. Well, what, uh, what those guys aren't showing you is the 20 man crew they have behind the scenes that are saying, hey, just get this done. And then tomorrow it's, oh, it's beautiful. You know? Yeah. Also, there's there's no rule that they actually have to tell the truth um, about their profits. And the other part of it is is that uh, people tend to give you discounts when they're going to be on TV. So you're not paying the actual rates that the rest of society would be paying. Think about all exactly. those advantages together. Yeah. For a thought. And then uh, from a new investor standpoint, um, going back into what you're saying about covering the cost of the actual labor materials, uh, some mm-hmm. lenders will cover the full construction amount. However, if you find a deal to where they're going to cover the acquisition of the property, it might take you 40 or 50 grand that you have to put into the house still. And if they're not willing to pay for that, you got to come up with that. And mm-hmm. then you have to have second loans or another private investor, or maybe you have this money stockpiled too. So obviously the ideal situation would be get the lender to cover for everything and just do the work and close it and keeps, keeps your liability at a minimum. Well, mm-hmm. that's, it keeps your risk way up high, but the liability financially is down at, at as, as little as possible. So as a new investor, keep in mind that you're going to have a lot of expenses that you're not going to be ready for. So I hope you have mm-hmm. a big cushion to prepare yourself for a couple blows, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And now your first one, I got to ask you, did you make money or did you, did you break even? 
I, I lost money on the first one. And actually, had I not already bought the second one while we were doing the first one, I probably wouldn't still be here. The second one made up for everything. But the first one uh, was an unmitigated disaster. Well, you learn from it. Um, I yeah, can tell I you a story on my first one, which it was, it didn't end the way I wanted it to, but it ended the way I needed it to, which kind of like you, it led me into the next one. I said, well, don't do that, but we can do this now. And like you're saying, using the one property to lever it towards the second one and kind of getting a snowball going to where you can build some momentum and you can say, no, this is what I'm doing now. And you figure it out and that way you can kind of you hit it headstrong and you figure out a system that works. So, yeah, I didn't really give myself a choice either. Um, like when I left that old job, I told myself I am never going to work for someone else again. <laughs> like that was just the way it was. You didn't want to go back and sell life insurance, man. Come on. Uh, no, it was, it was sell anything for anyone else. I'm only selling my own product. Like that was like the decision I made. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's a very important component that makes a lot of people fail at this, mm -hmm. uh, is that they don't go all in, um, especially on the flipping side, on the, on the rental side, being a landlord, you can easily be a silent partner, give money, let someone be an actual landlord for you. In fact, I encourage people who don't know how to be a landlord, like that's how you should do it. Um, but it, it, if you want to do a flip and, and not be all in, it's not going to work. I mean, there's just no way around that. Uh, there's so many pieces of advice we could give. Uh, I want to start with, mm -hmm. you know, make sure you get your taxes in order too, because you've got those capital gains that are going to hit you pretty hard if you don't know what to do with it. We can mm -hmm. talk about 1031s real quick and how you can offset that, but that's only if you're going to go do another one, right? Otherwise, someone that goes in, their LTV on a property is great, their expenses kind of got out of control, and they think they're going to clear forty dollars or $50,000, but then they get that tax bill, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, all that money I just made kind of disappears, and it's offset by this liability. Now I don't have this money that to use to purchase my another one. So that's why I asked, did you break even? Did you make money or lose money? Because in my experience, most people that I ask that, it was, it's, it's a learning experience on the first one and either they do very well and they get lucky and they go and they lose the money on the next one because they got overconfident or it's the mm -hmm. other way around where they, they really had to pinch down tight in the first one. I said, now I know exactly what I need to do. And then you can start making money uh, moving forward, which you can't predict the market, obviously, mm -hmm. but you can do our best to make the, the best decisions to, to get that rolling. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have any help when you got started or did you kind of go out on your own and just figure it out? Well, I actually started with a guy who knew what he was doing. Um, so, oh. so in, in Pittsburgh, there's a group of real estate agents that they meet at a hotel once a month, um, mostly or not real estate investors, not agents. Like, there are some agents there, obviously, but it's, it's, it's investors that get there. And I went there the first time thinking I was going to sell these guys life insurance. It was when I was still doing that. Yeah. And what I quickly realized was, aside from the fact that all these guys are just complaining about their tenants, um, but they're all basically, I was working 80 hours a week selling this life insurance. Uh -huh. They were all working less hours than me. They were all making more money than me. And in general, despite complaining about their tenants, they were happier. Um, so I was like, why don't I just do this? So I talked to the guy who ended up being, at the time, he was the vice president of it. And it's just like, how did you, just like asking him questions how to get into it. And... Um, he didn't like hold my hand or anything going through the first ones. He actually was a wholesaler and sold me my first three houses um, oh, that wow. I ended up flipping. So that was how that happened. And then 
fast forward down the road, basically in 16, 17, I started becoming a wholesaler as well. Whenever I stopped my cruise, I stopped flipping, but I had this pipeline of properties. So mm-hmm. I just sold the properties and, and came full circle. I keep the ones I want as a landlord and the rest of them, I just disperse to other guys who want to do stuff with them. It's good to be plugged in because there's always things moving. And mm-hmm. when you get to that point, you get to choose which properties you want to hang on to, right? Yeah. The, the most that- important part was, I mean, I look at it like this. I was going through before COVID 40 new houses a week just on acquisitions. My life had become acquisitions at that point. Mm-hmm. And when you know you only need one, you can really be aggressive. Um, <laughs> you wait for that perfect situation and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I, I have had a number of great partners throughout the years who just specialized in keeping my calendar full for acquisitions and really fine tuning it to the criteria that I wanted. Um, and like I said, we'd keep about one of them and we'd sell the rest of them. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot where you just can't buy every house. I mean, mortgages are real. You can't get around them, but there's, um, there's certainly a category of people that we can help and move forward with. Okay. Now, uh, I don't know how it is over there in Pittsburgh. How does it, how do they require you to, do you have to hire a licensed contractor to do these, the work on these properties or can a handyman do it all? Anyone can do whatever. Um, well, okay. before COVID, anyone can do whatever. Um, they, sure. they, they tried to change everything in between there. Um, but yeah, yeah. For the most part, if you're inside the city limits itself, you have to have a union guy, but for the rest of it, it can be anywhere. Anyone oh, can okay. do anything. See, over here, uh, when I first started, I was actually doing all the work, too. You know, I had my own tools. I had my own. It was a one-man crew. I'd go in there, and I'd try to commit to 35, 45 days of working 16-hour days, blasting it all out. Mm-hmm. And they started cracking down on it over here to where they said, no, now you have to be a licensed, um, you know, anything over $1,000. You have to have a license to to do this work. So by the time you paint the house, you're well over $1,000, so mm-hmm. you can't do anything. So I actually ended up getting my contractor's license as well for that reason. And then I turned that into the opportunity to get into building new homes as well. So we've got a division over here to where I can bring on crews to not only remodel homes, flip homes, but we can also build them too. So have you thought about getting into development out there? Um, I have, but for one very specific project that I want to do, but not as a developer in the traditional sense. Um, uh, likewise, uh, when you say that, I'm going to ask you why, but my reason is I want to do gentrification and I want to take older rundown communities and rebuild them as opposed to going out in the middle of nowhere, finding water. Well, in Arizona, water is a big deal, finding Mm -hmm. water, running utilities and developing new plots of land. So I'd like to keep it in the city to where we're taking these homes that were built in, I guess Pittsburgh is a much older city than we are, but we've got, you know, a lot of old stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, neighbors over here were built in the thirties, forties and fifties that they're all running down. They're falling apart. They need mm-hmm. something needs to happen to them. So that's, well, and that's what I, what I did. Like, like the, that's what I, that was what, what, see when you said develop it, my thought was the second option. You said uh-huh. find vacant land and just build from scratch. But no, all of my flips were old house, fix it, make it look awesome. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the most part, um, not to give the full detail history of Pittsburgh, but this city was in the most part built before world war two. And, okay. Then after World War II, as globally other people started coming and building new steel mills because we blew up all theirs during World War II, the competition of our steel mills started losing. And essentially development stopped getting new during the 50s and 60s because our city was shrinking. 
because the mills were shutting down, especially in the 70s. Um, so as a result, we basically have three categories of houses. The made before World War II, okay. made during basically the 80s, and then everything. Now it's everything's taking off, but um, the, the post-2000s. But there's a gap there where... We, there's just nothing, you know, they, it's, it's all old houses that people have preserved and added additions to and all that fun stuff. It's a really yeah. common thing is, is, is additions on people's houses. Um, but that, that's what we are. And the other fun part, people know us for our three rivers. That also means you have a ton of streams and hills and we okay. build things in a crazy hillsides, um, and foundation knowledge is very important. Um, okay. But getting back to what you were saying about how they make you do contractors, uh -huh. um, they just inspect everything every four seconds. They don't care who does it or how it does it. They, they, they're still getting their money and their taxes out of it. Um, they just do it in a different way. Yeah, I think a big part of that in here in Arizona was, uh, I don't know if you've researched the market as far as real estate over here, but there was an influx. And when wholesaling, when remodeling, when flips got big, everybody said Arizona is a place to go. Because the homes over here, they're not terribly, there are some old neighborhoods, but mm -hmm. what you'd find in Arizona is you'd find an influx of people coming in, driving the prices up. So you'd get lucky. You snag a property that was built in the eighties that hasn't been remodeled. So you wouldn't even have to go in and fix stuff. You basically gut out the interior, redesign it and make it more modern. Mm -hmm. And that's how you did your flips over here. So it wasn't as extensive. And the ROC, the register of contractors started dipping their head in there and said, well, that's fine. You guys are doing all the remodels and updating, but every time you open up a wall and you find a problem, you're patching it. You're not fixing it. You're hiding it. And there was plenty of lawsuits, plenty of instances where these problems were sold on to the new owners, became huge problems, and mm -hmm. then they had to go in and address them. There was a lot of lawsuits. So I think it was just the, the amount of business that changed between probably 2011, honestly, when they first started. Then it really vamped up over here around 2017, mm -hmm. um, right when the market started going crazy and everyone started moving over here to Arizona. So that's when they came in and said, no, you have to be a licensed contractor for anything over $1,000 worth of work, including materials. So like I said, by the time you paint a house, you can't do it yourself. You have oh, to yeah, hire yeah. someone, <laughs> someone with the bond, someone with the license. And that really complicated things for a lot of people. I mean, there were people out there still doing the work and kind of just getting away with it, but they're really putting themselves at risk. Because at any point in time, they can come back and say, well, you didn't use a licensed contractor. Now, if anything happens in this house, we're going to sue you. And it's not going to be a small dollar amount either. It's going to be a big, big, big penalty. So, oh, so yeah. yeah, getting my license was, it was out of necessity. And now it's, I'm finding other ways to use it and, and to benefit my company too. So sure. having a lot of fun with that one. Uh, let's see. So you operate in, in Pittsburgh. I've never been to Pittsburgh. It is Pittsburgh County, right? Is it a city? Is it's it Allegheny County? County, but it's the city of Pittsburgh. Do you have stats on the size of that area over there? Like, is it uh, a big I mean, city compared to where? So, so when you look at that, those Google like largest cities in terms of population, because the city limit is small, we end up being like the 14th per what square mile in terms mm -hmm. of density. Okay. Um, but when you look at places like Phoenix and Arizona, where like their city limit is like eight of our counties. Um, so right. it, it really skews. I, I do believe that if, if you take that out um, to the same size, we would probably be like, I don't know, like the borderline of top 10. If you would count gotcha. the same footprint for all of us, uh, th there's a pretty decent Metro area that most people don't know about 
in the triangle between Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Columbus. Um, it's okay. not like the New York corridor or anything like that. It's not like Jersey, but it, it, it's pretty representative. The reason I ask is uh, I was getting into, you answered the question, it was about density. Uh, here in Arizona, everything was, there was so much space. And when they got full, they just built outwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas now cities like Mesa, even Phoenix, you know, Scottsdale, it's all landlocked now. So as we get more and more dense, we're having to do upward builds and mm-hmm. also multifamily builds. Did you guys have a lot of multifamilies out there? Or oh, it... yeah. I mean, it basically yeah. all was. I mean, th- th- that's what oh. the city was built around um, okay. was, was multifamily. Um, yeah, there's a lot of four-unit on top of each other buildings, and they're all row houses. So you mm-hmm. just got, you know, brick straight down and the next one and next one and next one. Oh, okay. And that's basically what, what it is. You drive around Pittsburgh, that's what you see. Um, oh, it's well, part so of the, like, the issue that people are having now is um, people don't want to, A, you don't have nine people in a house anymore um, is mm-hmm. first point. Because, you know, just think about the average size of a family in 1900 versus today. It's night and day. Right. Um, so there's less people. So you don't need it to, to try to cram them in like this. And part of what we're renovations are doing is taking what were these massive vertical properties you have four stories tall and making them now into a single family residence mm-hmm. and doing a lot of cool stuff with it so um it's that that's what's happening all over pittsburgh it, it, it's a really, really fun process um and so then the like anything else the there's just stuff that just got you know run down and deleted and restarted so yeah uh so if someone were to take a you know four-story multi-family home and convert it to a single how does that how does that translate as far as pricing? Are those get pretty expensive then? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, like like when they started doing it over in Lawrenceville, which is, you know, probably about a ten minute ride from the stadiums for people who like only know Pittsburgh as the as the sports teams. Um, it, it's those houses over there, like twenty grand, thirty grand. After they did this process and made the entire, and they just didn't do it like one happens. street. They did it for twenty blocks. Um, in all directions and it, they completely overhauled the entire area. And now you can't buy anything over there for less than 300. So you're looking at just a massive explosion that has gone up, not to mention all the rents and all that fun stuff as well. You know, I got to say, Joe, I'm not a big fan of technology, especially when it doesn't work. So <laughs> we're fair. here. Uh, you were telling me a story about uh, Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrenceville. So it's like about 10 minutes away from the stadiums for those who only know Pittsburgh as their stadiums. Um, but long story short, as I was saying, there's all these vertical houses with all the units on top of each other. And these houses, before the renovators started showing up, it was basically 20 grand for one of these. Like, oh, wow. It, was, it wasn't much at all. Um, you came in and you put 100 grand into it um, mm-hmm. type deal. Like you, you redid everything. Um, but now you can't. The, the final product for everything over there starts at least with 400. Okay. So because so much of it was all done at the same time and so much of the demographics and regenerification happened, all of these stores and shops came out. I mean, this was basically a dead part of town yeah. that you just went through and now it was, now it's basically the place that everyone wants to move to. Right. So like it, it, drive it, now, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's very awesome in that regards. So, and all it took was essentially an opportunity of, hey, we went from. You're not hearing me anymore. Is that what you're telling me? No, no, I'm good. I was testing. Oh, so you're mic. hitting the mic. So, um, so 
it basically went from the opportunity of we're going to put you know 200 grand in and try to double our money and that's what got everyone that entered the enter the game and because so many such a dense area got all hit at the same time the whole area was able to really skyrocket at once and and there's not like there's two really nice houses and then still horrible right everything has been mauled over at this point so so was there um, a point where someone got in too late to the game to where they weren't making any money because it was so hyped up at that yeah oh absolutely absolutely and now what they're doing is they're just sitting on it because the rents there are still through the roof because people want to live there so it's a difference of making your money in six months versus six years type thing (laughs) is what it is (laughs) right pick your poison what do you want to play with right Mm -hmm. uh which leads into kind of the the market over here as far as wholesaling flips and acquisitions it got so competitive over here that these wholesalers were picking up properties, elevating the prices beyond what they would sell for after ARV. Mm-hmm. And people were buying homes just for the sake of, like you're saying, put them in there. People are got to pay rent anyway. They get stuck on these interest-only loans to where they might be clearing two or $300 per month per unit, which mm-hmm. isn't a very good ROI for me, especially if you're going to try to flip this thing. So we yeah. had a conversation before we started and how... Both of us have backed our business off, and we're kind of just waiting for that that vein to die down a little bit again, so we can actually attack, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to happen, and you know, I, I think the other part of this is, you know, you're I, I don't remember how Arizona was for the last three months in terms of being forced not allowed to work um, uh-huh. in Pennsylvania. If you were doing any work on a vacant property, they shut you down, and you couldn't do anything. So really? for basic, yeah, you couldn't do anything unless there was someone living in there. That was, oh. we were the fifth most shut down state. Um, I so, think we were the, the least shut down state over here. They said, you're, yeah, like you're you in Florida, like, like it would have been awesome. Um, yeah. So as a result, the business basically stops. Uh-huh. And right now we're in a situation where um, supply and demand is completely wrong because there was no flips that were done for the last three years. Uh-huh. There's so little supply, but normal demand remains. And that's why our prices are going through the roof. And okay. no one wants to sell anything if they think that they should be able to get four times as much as what it should. So mm-hmm. the long-term problem we're going to have, and every state that got shut down has this to the degree that they were shut down, is supply and demand is so wrong right now, everything costs too much. Mm-hmm. Eventually, all of these people are going to flip. And they're just going to mm-hmm. stop wanting to, to move. Because right now, basically, people want to sell because they're getting way too much for their houses. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, cool. But then you're also spending way too much to get the new one, uh, which is the problem. So as an investor, many of us just stopped because we can't get the, the low-end prop. We can't get the prices low enough to where it makes sense right. before we even start factoring the fact that everything at Home Depot is much more than it should be as well. So you, you put all that together there's a glut of these properties that should be getting renovated that aren't um, across the board. And there's a lot of other, you know, economic things I get into about how people got paid not to work and now their expectation of payment is wrong. Um, So you look at all this, you're not going to be able to renovate a property for that. That's going to be able to sell on the low end anymore. Everything that's going to be done is going to have to be, a super high-end resale value because it's the only way you'll be able to make money on it. And we have a mayor who's yelling about, well, you're not making any affordable housing. It's because it's not possible. Um, I had that conversation that, that's, yesterday. That's mathematically factual. 
Uh-huh. So the bottom line is, is that what's going to happen, and it's it's happening now, but it's going to happen really hard, is that we also weren't allowed to evict people. L- let's keep that caveat out there. Evictions in, in Pennsylvania, or in Pittsburgh specifically, only were allowed to begin begin in february of this year so essentially for two years tenants who found out the first day they didn't have to pay 40 percent of them stopped paying statewide mm-hmm. so i'm gonna do easy math on myself if you own five units you only got paid for three of them mm-hmm. and no one has ever evicted someone especially someone who hasn't paid for a long time let alone two years um, and gotten a house back that was awesome there's always something broken with it so for the last two years, I may or may not have had enough cash flow to stay afloat, um, but I definitely don't have enough money to fix up these two units. Sure. So what are you going to do? No one wants to buy anything that's broken, and you can't. So the people who would have been buying these to renovate it, they aren't because of all the reasons I just said. You can't make money on it now. Yeah, so unless you the, chop them fifty k. Yeah, you you can't do anything with them. So the properties are just incinerating upon themselves mm-hmm. and the converse is true in the renters market all of these people just got evicted and there's nowhere for them to go so rents are going to skyrocket because of natural supply and demand and everyone's going to complain these landlords are the worst people ever how dare they charge that much for rent at the end of the day it's because no one paid for their rents and that's why everything's more expensive and I don't know how it is in Arizona, but in Pennsylvania, if you are involved with a magistrate, it stays on your record for 10 years. So if I see anyone who got evicted between the beginning of COVID and 2022, you're 10 years of never getting in one of my houses. Yeah. And that includes anyone who's going to be in there, whether you were the main leasee or not. I don't care. Um, So that is a very real thing that. You know, it was nice not to pay your rent forever, but there's consequences to life. And anyone who applies consequences in this world is a mean and bad person, um, <laughs> despite the fact that they're 100% necessary. So um, I, I say that all to say is that's why, for my business at least, we're not growing anymore. We're basically on pause. We're waiting for this entire thing to bottom out. Because eventually, when you're looking at I have two units, I'm not making money on them. I still have to pay taxes on them. Eventually, I'm just going to say I don't care. Just take them from me. Just so I don't have to right. deal with the headache of it anymore. And that moment will come. It's inevitable. Um, and once it comes, I will buy six houses for the price of one. And then we will have these neighborhoods that can get renovated. But there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then as well. That landlord has to give up. The prices of labor have to return to normal. Mm-hmm. And Home Depot has to return to normal. Or at least relatively normal for what I will get on the back end for these rents. And right now we are nowhere near that point. And it is going to take a substantial readjustment to do that. And in economic terms, people, that is bad recession. And that's also yeah. impossible to avoid at this point. Yeah, when all those planets align, they, they they think they're good things, things going back to normal prices, but there was so much money moving around, that's gonna correct itself. So there's it no telling how deep it's gonna dip back into the positive correct or the negative correction. And it could take some time to get back to where it's going. So, yeah, I'm not. Oh, I see. It's, it's going to take at least three years because this is going to start on okay. the fr- front end. Right. Um, and, and banks weren't allowed to foreclose on people for everything. Yep. The landlords had the banks had it just as bad, if not worse. Uh-huh. And those two industries in this country, you don't mess with 
Uh-huh. You don't mess with oil, and you don't mess with banks. Because uh-huh. everything needs to get from point A to point B. That's oil. And banks control the money. And guess what? You've been pissing them off for three years by them not getting paid. As soon as they can press that foreclosure button, it's going to get ugly. And because most bank laws are federal, that's essentially a nationwide three-year button. Uh, because okay. to get through the, the federal process of an eviction. So this landlord rental thing, it's going to look like nothing compared to that. Because once all of those properties re-hit the market... Now, what I was saying before about supply and demand being that there was no supply, basically, now there's going to be a ton of supply and no one with enough money to buy it, let alone banks who want to give you money to buy it. Because banks get panicky, like a lot, like way more than they should. Um, So this is how it becomes a three-year recession. Banks don't want to give any money. There's way too much properties and there's no way around this. This is going to happen. And it's going to happen because of the – it's, it's going to happen worse the more your state was shut down, but it's going to happen everywhere. And we're going to be like, why is California and New York on fire? Well, this is why, <laughs> period. Well, with chaos, there's always opportunity, right? So there play your cards right, save your money, make smart moves, and you can end up helping people that are having this, this difficult time in life through all this recession. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to help them out and help yourself at the same time too. So – for the new investors out there, it's it's not a great time to buy. I'm not sold on the fact that if someone's mm-hmm. telling you, I got this great deal in this house, put your money away. Go buy yeah. something. Go buy Bitcoin before you buy real estate right now. <laughs> I just Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what the alternative ought to be, but it's it's, it's not right now. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to have some place to live. So if, you're, if you know you're in a job where you're going to be there for the next 10, 15 years where you don't care about devaluating properties and you're okay with paying higher interest rates, buy the house. But not as an investment. That's going to be our primary residence because you need somewhere to live anyway. Paying yeah. rent right now is just through the roof. Um, speaking to a landlord here, you know, like you're going to raise your rent if you can because it's mm-hmm. out of necessity, right? That's just the way it goes. So rent's going to go up. Prices probably going to come down. Interest rate. It's all just a big game and you got to manipulate your way through it. So It is. And in that regards, it, you're probably best off in your situation if, if you are going to be somewhere for a while to, to buy it. Um, Mm -hmm. because the rents are going to go up. So you might be in a year rent right now, a year contract. So all right, you're you're stable for a year, but there's going to be an ocean of people that you'll be fighting about just to stay in your own rental unit that you're in right now. So price is going to go up. So if you want to have price control in your budget, you can have that by getting a fixed mortgage. You're not going to have that in rentals moving forward. And you can watch the the you know the mortgage market close enough and buy a house. You can refi when two years when the base start panicking and say, well, we need to sell more property and move more money around. So let's let's get the rates down and refi and all that too. So I, I hate the expression that the the mortgage professionals use is you know marry the house and date the rate, but it's true. And get into a house. Don't worry about the rate right now. Let it play it out, play itself out for a little bit. And two years from now, when that seven goes down to you know four point six, get a refi and save your money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, that, that's exactly correct. Right on. Well, thank you, Joe. I'd like to give you a moment to um, tell us about your podcast, what you guys talk about. Obviously, real estate is your bread and butter. It's what you do. But mm-hmm. you guys have a unique message out there that you kind of like to touch on a lot of things. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to you know, tell whoever's listening about that. Certainly, yeah. So, so it's called Father and Joe. You can get it anywhere you get an audio podcast. Father and Joe, three letters or three words, not very complicated. And what we discuss is, is essentially 
the relationships that individuals have with themselves, with others around them, and then with God. And then I know half the people out there who just heard the word God got a little puckered up inside of them because that's normal. <laughs> that's what people do. And the reality is, is that we all have something that was in our past that we don't ever want to talk about, let alone be out in the open in public. And what we do, Father and Joe, is essentially discuss what life and society is when you address that and make yourself better. And we do it through a lot of different ways and angles. But the long story short of the best way to improve your life is to improve your relationships of your life. That includes the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship that you have with other people. And as you implement these types of things into your life, and we discuss all kinds of different ways of doing this and the benefits thereof, it's a very practical show in that regard. Um, But as you do this, your life becomes better in ways that you didn't think it would or even be capable of. You know, there's this misconception out there that I can be this way um, as a father, I can be this way as a brother and this way um, as a coworker. And I can be horrible in one category, but I'll be the best in the world in another. And the reality is, is the human brain is not capable of compartmentalizing like that in the long term. You might be able to do it for a short-term burst. You know, I crammed for this exam. I rem- everyone remembers that and I passed it. But in the long run, it's not capable. So what you have to do is enhance all of your relationships everywhere. And that's really how you make yourself a better person. And it makes everything else around you better too. So most people have a relationship that's not as good as it used to be with someone. And what I invite people to do is to actually call that person, put the 10 numbers in the phone, hit the green button. Don't text them. Don't social actually call them. And it's amazing what actually addressing that situation is, how much weight it pulls off of you that you didn't know what you were having. The only other people who can relate to this situation are those who have lost over 80 pounds and they just go, I have so much more energy now. Mm -hmm. This is the mental equivalent of this and the social equivalent to this. And it makes every element of your life better. Like I said, we come out with new episodes every Tuesday and um, all kinds of different arrays of topics of how to get there. But this is the crust of all of it is you need to have better relationships with yourself and those around you. Well, I'm big on uh, self-development personal growth and finding ways to implement those those techniques to make every like you're saying every department within your life better through yourself so mm-hmm. i'm definitely going to be watching and listening and maybe take some notes from you so anybody out there that's watching this uh give a listen follow subscribe maybe you can change your life for you exactly it's called father and joe and like i said you can get any audio podcast all right we're going to put a link down below for you joe so, thank you thank you this was been uh season two Episode 5 of I'm Not Sold with Shoal Holmes here in Mesa, Arizona. We're looking forward to uh, season, uh, episode 6. Have a good one.